you have your Bibles, 1 Samuel chapter 3, as we continue through 1 Samuel together. At this point, we saw that Elkanah uh, and his wife Hannah have brought little Samuel, and we emphasize little because he was only about somewhere probably between three to five years old up to the house of the Lord there in Shiloh and basically turned him over to be under sort of the full-time care and supervision of Eli the priest. Again, as sort of a way of keeping her vow to the Lord as God gave to her a son after many years of barrenness. Hannah dedicated this child that God gave her to the Lord and really became an answer to the prayer that God was longing for because God was looking for a life that could be fully dedicated to him because it was a very dark time morally and spiritually. The people were engaged in sin. To make it worse, the religious leaders themselves we saw, uh, even in 1 Samuel chapter 2, the sons of Eli who were working there in the house of the Lord under Eli the high priest, his own two sons, Hophni and Phinehas, were very wicked men. It tells us they were stealing from the people of God as they were coming to offer their sacrifices to the Lord in worship. They were taking advantage of God's people it actually says they were committing sexual immorality as well with the women who were assembling there at the tabernacle of the Lord and basically it become wicked and vile in such a way that it actually tells us that the people of God began to abhor coming to the house of God they actually were just disgusted and tired of even coming they wanted nothing to do with the house of God because things had become so bad even among the, the established religious leaders at that time so this is a very dark time morally and spiritually but god always even in the darkest hours has a plan and has something on the horizon you know that old adage that it's always darkest right before the dawn and sometimes that is true spiritually as well and that was kind of the case and why god now had worked in this way uh, to cause the heart of this woman hannah to pray and to beseech the lord her prayer came into alignment with god and she said god if you give me a son i'll be fully given over to you dedicated to you for your purposes and god was looking for a a, a prophet that he could raise up to reach the nation to bring spiritual renewal to begin to speak into the lives of the people again and young samuel was the one god had selected for this and so his parents have now come up in this incredible act of faith they've turned over young samuel to eli and it tells us that samuel was there in the house of god ministering under the supervision of eli growing up and as we come to chapter three now uh, we are, can't be certain, but it's likely that Samuel at this point is probably maybe somewhere a young boy. Commentators think, historians say somewhere uh, between maybe you know 9 to 12 years old. We can't be exact or certain, but years have passed. It seems he's been being raised among the house of God. He's learning the ways of the tabernacle worship system, doing little errands and acts of service under the supervision of Eli the priest in the house of the Lord. So chapter 3 opens up telling us, now the boy Samuel, and again notice he's not the child or the young child, he's now the boy Samuel, ministered to the Lord before Eli. And again, Eli the high priest that is. And again, we take note of the language the Holy Spirit gives to us. We saw it and brought it to attention back in chapter 2 as well. The way it's recorded regarding how Samuel served in ministry. I love the way that the Holy Spirit gives this to us. I don't think it can be overstated. That Samuel ministered 
to the Lord. This was in his service. This was in his ministry. It doesn't say that he ministered for the Lord. And certainly there was a component of what he did that was for the Lord and for the people of God. It helped them. It assisted them. All service and Christian ministry in whatever form it takes certainly benefits the people of God. It helps them. It does something to contribute something beneficial to them. But this is genuinely the spirit of God's proper perspective towards ministry that we don't minister foremost for people or even for the Lord on his behalf but that we're ministering to the Lord that our ministry is unto the Lord that what we do we do it as unto the Lord and and that is the pure and most proper motivation that we can have in any form of Christian service whatever it may be and we mentioned last time that when that is the case and we do it for the Lord first and foremost not for people or not even for ourselves, for our own sense of you know gratification or sense of validation. And there can be all kinds of reasons that we as people, even as God's people, can do ministry just like people can have all kinds of wrong motives and reasons for doing all kinds of other things in life. And sometimes we can even do ministry because we enjoy the recognition or we enjoy the accolades of others or somehow we find our identity or our, our, our validation and that we actually do this or we hold that position or we serve in some... And, and we have to be careful of all those things. The proper and most pure reason is that we do it because we love the Lord. And we do it under the Lord. And we say, Lord, I want to do this for you. It's something I, I want to offer back to you. You've blessed me. You've done so much in my life. And so therefore, as Paul said of his ministry, he said, the love of Christ compels us. And that was Paul's motive for ministry. He did it for the Lord. It was the love of Jesus that he experienced in his life for him that made him out of gratitude say, Lord, I want to do something for you. I want to serve you. And we do it unto the Lord and for the Lord because we know it's our commission has come from him. And then what we do, we're doing because he asked us to do it. Not just because we have to or to fill a void, but that we truly have a sense, Lord, this is what you've called me to do to serve in this way or to function in this capacity according to perhaps the ability or anointing spiritually God's given us, that we know what our gifting is and we operate in that and the Lord gives us an avenue and an opportunity to serve. And so Samuel here, he's ministering, yes, notice, in the presence of Eli the priest before Eli, in a sense, under his supervision and spiritual covering, but he's doing it primarily unto the Lord. Just a beautiful, beautiful description as this young boy is now rising up and beginning to become a servant of God, a pure-hearted servant who God's going to use in a powerful way in this time historically in Israel's history. It says, and the word of the Lord, and this is key to our chapter tonight, chapter 3, uh, verse 1, the second half, the word of the Lord was rare in those days. And there was no widespread revelation. Again, because of the sinful conditions at this time historically among the nation and among the people of God themselves, and as well because of what was really, and we saw it all throughout the book of Judges, and we're still in this time historically, because of the spiritual apathy of the people. Sinful conditions, spiritual apathy, and as the result of that continuously, basically what the Bible's describing here in verse 1, it is God, as a consequence of that, basically went silent. And so God, in a sense, became quiet. 
as God speaks to people and God spoke to people continuously, repeatedly, and they continued to ignore the voice of God and, and to just do what they would willfully anyway. It says in that day there was no king, remember, and everyone just did what was right in his own eyes. And as the people continued in sin and progressed further in rebellion and no one was interested in seeking after God at this point, hearts were distracted by all types of other things worldly activities and people were just doing as they preferred and pleased to satisfy their own selfish interests. There was no real desire. There was no real longing or interest to actually hear from God. The people had lost that. There wasn't a sense of, of people longing that they wanted to hear what God would say, wanting to really hear a word from the Lord and, and that God would reveal something to them so to receive revelation about God or receive revelation from God for their lives. God, what do you want for our lives? How do you want to direct us? What would you have us to do? As the result of that, the Bible describes here basically as a consequence of the Lord, God became somewhat silent since there was very little desire to hear him, to listen to what he would have to say or to obey him. That's why the Bible's saying here, notice it was a very rare thing in that day for the word of the Lord to come forth and there was not widespread revelation from God going on at this point. It was a very dark time, spiritually a very unfortunate time. People had become cold and unsensitive to the things of God. So it was a rare thing to hear someone speak for God. Interesting, in the book of Amos, one of the descriptions at times uh, when God was judging Israel historically, it says that God said he would bring a famine on the land. And it said it wouldn't be a famine of food, a lack of you know, problems financially or economic. God said, no, it would be a famine of hearing the word of the Lord. And God said, this is part of the discipline that he was going to bring upon his people. At another time, historically, God said, there'll be a famine in the land, a famine, a, a lack of hearing the word of the Lord. Nobody would be speaking on God's behalf. There would be a lack of a true prophet, a prophetic voice, someone who is truly hearing something from God and speaking on God's behalf and conveying the heart of God to people. People weren't receiving insight from the Lord or giving forth a word from the Lord and the hearts of the people had grown dull. No one was receiving fresh revelation, the Bible tells us. Yet, God saw that there was a young man, 12 years old maybe, but God saw there's this young man and he saw in this young man a heart for him and a desire to serve his purposes. And that's who God is now going to begin to work among, to raise up, to begin to speak in fresh ways to his people, to bring ultimately the word of the Lord back to the people as it was much needed at this time. It says, verse two, and it came to pass at that time, very dark, rarely hearing from God, that while Eli was lying down in his place and when his eyes had begun to grow so dim that he could not see, so he's aging. We read in the, in the chapters ahead that he's 98 years old when he dies. So he's a very elderly man at this point as the high priest. His eyesight is diminishing greatly. He's having trouble seeing. He's laying down to rest at night somewhere in the annex of the temple area there, the tabernacle, excuse me, in Shiloh in that day. And it says it was before the lamp of God went out in the tabernacle of the Lord where the ark of God was. 
and while Samuel also, the young boy, was lying down. So the Bible pictures here this sort of the evening hours, the, the day is drawing to a close. Again, remember, in the tabernacle of the Lord, there were different furnishings. Uh, there was the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord in the, the rear room, which was the Holy of Holies, where the presence of God was typically manifest. In that front room there was the table of showbread and also the menorah or the lampstand that was basically an oil lamp where it had to be continuously refilled with oil and the wicks trimmed and it was to be tended by those who worked in the house of the Lord so that the light of God would continue to keep burning brightly in his house. Uh, and again, remember, that was the only light. There were no windows. There were no daylight. or It was just this one light that was the light of the Lord that was kept lit to be able to see and to fulfill and to do the works and the purposes of God. So this here, it seems, was to be sort of tended to perpetually. It's interesting that the Bible says before the lamp of God went out because it, it honestly, sincerely should have never gone out, which could be an indication again of the lackadaisical activity in the tabernacle of God. It says in, in the uh, prior books of the Bible we've looked at together, remember we saw in, in Leviticus and other locations that this lamp of God, this oil lamp, was never to go out. It was to burn perpetually. The light of the Lord was not to go out. So the picture here is just the evening hours, they're about to go to sleep. But I want to just say, it's interesting as we look at this, as God is now going to begin to speak into the life of this young man who he's called and preparing as his prophet, the literal description of the events is kind of the backdrop. I think in some ways, yes, it's a literal description, but can I just say, what a fitting illustration at the same time of the spiritual condition of God's house at that time and of God's people. I mean, if you would, consider the language with me. People were lethargic and asleep spiritually. They were about to go to sleep and they were tired and beginning to become restful. And, and this is a perfect description because people spiritually were falling asleep. They were asleep spiritually and they were rather lethargic. There was a disinterest of God and people were just, listen, at rest with living morally defiled lives. God's people. There was sin among the tabernacle of the Lord itself. The actual ministers in the house of God were committing heinous sins. We're living in immoral ways, but people were just, whatever, just one more case of adultery. Just another two people sleeping together that aren't married. Just somebody else robbing the people of God or harming people or another casualty hurting someone. And, and the people were basically in much the same way spiritually. They were at rest and asleep spiritually. People's eyes, it says Eli's eyes had begun to grow dim so that he could not see. And what a picture because this is true of people spiritually. Their eyes had begun to grow dim. They weren't seeing the Lord anymore. They weren't seeing the things of the Lord, or the ways of the Lord. It's interesting. Jesus said, blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. And because their hearts were so defiled, they weren't seeing the things of God anymore. Their eyes had grown dim to seeing what God wanted to show them. And interesting, it says here, before the lamp of God went out, and this was true as well spiritually. Interesting, before the lamp of God went out, the lamp of God was beginning to go out in the house of the Lord. In a sense, you could say spiritually, the, the fire was diminishing among the house of God. And there was no fresh oil being supplied to keep the fire of the Lord burning brightly the way it was supposed to be. 
And this was a sad and a tragic thing. There was a much needed experience of spiritual revival and renewal before the lamp of God went out altogether. And it's interesting in this scenario, it tells us at that point, as they're now laying down for the night, verse 4, God begins to move, a sovereign act of the grace of God. It says, The Lord called to Samuel, this young man, and he answered, Here I am. And notice verse 5 says, He ran to Eli and said, Here I am, for you called me. And he said, I did not call. Lie down again. And he went and lay down. So at this point, God for the first time speaks forth and he calls Samuel. He speaks forth his name, Samuel. And Samuel hears this voice and, and he says, Yes, here I am. And no doubt this young man, he was probably very accustomed to hearing the voice of Eli the priest who was sleeping elsewhere, maybe in a, another room or location, and he just assumes, probably it's the middle of the night kind of here, it's dark, and he just assumes it's Eli, so he runs over and he says, uh, yes, sir, what, you know, what, what do you need and, and what can I do and, and how can I help? And Eli says, what, I didn't call you. Maybe you're having a dream or something. He, go back and lay down. I'm an old man. I'm trying to get some rest here. He says, go, just go lay back down. What, what, what do you do? So Samuel here knows he heard something, but he probably a little bit perplexed, thinks, okay, I, I maybe, I don't know. Maybe I was just starting to dream or something. And then verse six, notice, the Lord called, notice, yet again. Notice the repetition. Key, when God speaks, he often speaks repetitively to indicate that he's trying to get a point across to us. The Lord called yet again, Samuel. So Samuel arose and went to Eli and said, here I am for you called me. And he answered, I did not call my son. Lie down again. And then parenthetically, the Bible tells us verse seven here. Now Samuel did not yet know the Lord, nor was the word of the Lord, that is the voice of the Lord, yet revealed to him. So Here's what we're beginning to have here. The Lord's beginning to try and speak directly to the heart of this young boy who's growing in this somewhat of a faith and relationship in the Lord and this God whom he had come to know and was serving. And it seems that Samuel, you can just tell by the first couple verses we're reading here already, these two occurrences, Samuel apparently, just his temperament, his nature and disposition as a young boy, functioning there under the supervision of Eli the priest, Samuel, take notice, He's a very attentive young man and he's a very responsive young man because two times rather than just going to sleep, he very quickly is attentive to hearing a voice and he's not just attentive and he's not like perhaps a lot of adolescents or teens. He actually got up when he got called. He hears the voice and right away he gets up and he goes running into the next room two different times and he says, Yes, you you called me, what do you want? So he's attentive, he's responsive to a voice when speaking to him and likely he's probably a very willing and faithful young servant as Eli is his overseer and he's always ready to do as he asked. You can see this young man has the right heart that God wants to get a hold of and use. He's attentive, he's responsive He's compliant, he's willing, he's faithful, he's a servant. And the Lord sees these things in this young man's disposition who he's about to raise up as his prophet, willing to do whatever is asked of him. 
And verse 7 says that the reason for this struggle, he kept going to Eli and Eli kept saying to him, listen, I'm not calling you. Go and lay back down again. And verse 7 indicates to us what's happening. It says, Samuel did not yet know the Lord, nor is the word of the Lord yet revealed to him. It's not indicating he doesn't have a relationship with the Lord. What it's trying to say to us is Samuel is a young boy, is not yet aware and doesn't recognize that this is God speaking directly to him. He's learning how to hear God's voice for himself, as we all did, whether as maybe if you were a young child and you met the Lord early in life, and as you gradually kind of grow up in your relationship with the Lord, you you gradually begin to learn how to take ownership more of the faith yourself. You learn how to start hearing God's voice directly rather than perhaps through your parent or someone else. And Samuel's a young boy. He's growing and developing, even as we, as a, as a brand new young Christian, as kind of a child in the faith. We kind of grow in this process of learning how to hear God speak to us. And this is the case with Samuel here. This was a new experience between this young man and God. He's growing in his own spiritual life and he's likely never heard at this point, the Bible saying a direct word from God right to him. This is the first time this is now beginning to happen as God's beginning to move in his life in this way. As a young boy, he's not yet familiar with hearing God speak directly to his heart, but he was very accustomed to receiving direction from Eli, the spiritual leader in his life, who he had received direction and sort of mentorship from as a spiritual leader as he's serving God. And now he's beginning to hear God's voice directly and personally, and he's hearing a word of the Lord from himself. And God is now at this point teaching him how to hear the Lord's voice for himself as an individual, and this would be very important as he would receive revelation from the Lord for his life and words from the Lord that he would then speak for God as he was going to be God's prophet, even as this is very important for all of our lives, wherever we're at in the process. I hope and pray that we are all growing and developing and learning how to hear the voice of the Lord for ourselves because God wants to speak to you. And God will speak to you. And it's a marvelous thing, isn't it not? When you begin to hear the voice of the Lord. When you have those occasions, when you realize God spoke to me. God, God showed me something. Whether it's in maybe a time you're reading in the word of God and God just really conveys something to your heart or maybe a time in prayer and the Lord impresses something so clearly on your heart or maybe in the midst of a, a teaching or and God really conveys something and you just have an encounter and experience with the Holy Spirit and you know the Lord's saying something to you or in whatever capacity, maybe through something you hear, a radio program and the Lord brings something or a prophetic word from a friend or fellow Christian and you just know, man, this is a word from the Lord God's speaking to me he's showing me something and you begin to have this experience and listen I hope you are because it's what God wants for us Jesus said my sheep know my voice if this was the case with Samuel how much more for you and I who have the indwelling presence of the very spirit of God himself living directly inside of us as Christians as children of God to be able to hear his voice, to receive revelation from the Lord, to hear what he would say to us, a word for our life that we need for direction or guidance or to perhaps even do something God wants us to do as he did with Samuel. Well, verse 8 says, The Lord then called Samuel again the third time. And aren't you glad God's patient like that? 
So he arose. It usually takes me about three times, I admit. So he arose and went and called to Eli. This must have been quite a process. Here I am, for you did call me. She's probably getting a little confused or frustrated. Just This is the third time now. I just, you know, when you get a 12-year-old out of bed three times in a row, that's, you know, that's, that's a pretty big feat there. And he says, you called me, it is you. And verse 8, finally, notice, Eli, though he can't see well, he's still spiritually discerning. It says, Eli perceived that the Lord had called the boy. So now Eli recognizes, well, I know what's going on here. God's beginning to speak to this young man. God's beginning to convey things to this young man and show things to him. And I think this is beautiful to see. Eli is his spiritual covering in his life. In a sense, he was like the spiritual parent, if you would, somewhat, in Samuel's life, raising him in the house of God since his parents had turned him over to his care. And I think this is beautiful to see that this spiritual parent, or if you would, figure in Samuel's life, he perceived what the Lord was doing in the young boy's life. And he was able to recognize it and confirm it and to help him now process what's going on. And let me just say, for you and I who are parents, this is an important thing. I think as parents, it is wise for us to be discerning and paying attention to what God is doing in our kids' lives. And at times to be perceptive if the Lord's doing something in your child's life. And if the Lord's beginning to speak to your child or show them something, to be able to perceive it so that you can help work in cooperation with God and be able to perhaps help them process what God may doing in the, be doing in their life. And here he perceives the Lord is now calling and putting a calling on his young son in the faith's life and speaking to him. So Eli, verse 9, therefore, because he's a perceptive spiritual overseer, he then said to Samuel, go, lie down. And it shall be, if he calls you, that you must say, greatest spiritual advice Eli ever gave, speak, Lord, for your servant hears. So Samuel went and lay down in his place. So Eli, recognizing what's going on, says to him, listen, God's trying to speak to you. So this isn't me. God's trying to talk to you directly. He wants you to hear something. He wants to say something to you. And again, just like Eli, God help us as parents to be the facilitators to help our kids learn how to hear God's voice. You know, there were times very early, my goal as a parent, numero uno, quite honestly, when they were just infants, I always did bedtime. And so when I did bedtime with the kids, my mentality was, even when they were just little fussy, fussy infants, my mentality was the sooner the Holy Spirit gets on the inside, my life will get way better. So even as I'd be doing the daddy dance, you know, getting ready to put them down in the crib before they fall asleep, I, I would just, for God so loves the world that he gave his own, I would just be quoting scripture, really gospel-oriented verses. You know, we've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And whoever calls upon the name of the Lord, please do it very soon. It will be saved. And, and I would just put the word of God into their hearts because I wanted, and all three of the girls at a very early age had a, a perception of just the simple claims of the gospel. And my mentality was the sooner the Holy Spirit gets in there, the easier my job gets because then I'm not trying to conform them in their behavior and their heart from the outside. The Spirit of God and His authority is working on the inside. 
And so there were many times, even at a very early age, where even as a part of the correction or parenting process, it wasn't just do this because I said so or because I'm 125 pounds more to you and I'll squash you if if I don't. It it was, what do you sense God saying in your heart right now? And part of that, to me, was a part of the training process. It wasn't just do this or do that. It was, what what do you sense in your heart right now? And to get them to begin to understand the reality of God speaks to you and to teach them to actually take the time because it's happening, but perhaps as parents, we're not helping them facilitate that sometimes. And for us to be able to train them in the ways of the Lord, one of the wonderful things we can do, like Eli here, is to help them to understand, I know God's probably speaking to you right now. What's he saying to you? What do you sense God's saying to you? Now, of course, if they say something, well, he's saying you should be merciful and not spank me. I got that a few times. That's when you have to know Scripture and you say, well, my spirit doesn't bear witness with that. Because the Bible says to test all things and hold fast to that which is good. So get thee behind me, Satan. You're not mindful of the things of God. <laughs> so, but to help them discern in that way. And here, Eli, he says, Samuel, do this. Go lay back down. And the next time you hear your name called, your voice called, say, speak Lord, for your servant hears. That is great spiritual advice to give to anyone. It's great spiritual advice for any of us. And again, the idea here is Samuel present to God a receptive heart. Uh, Present to God. He's calling your name. He's calling your voice. Give God a willing heart and show him, indicate to him from your heart that you want to be instructed. You want to be guided. This is the idea here. Speak, Lord, for your servant hears. Some of your translations say your servant is listening. The idea is is my heart attitude towards the Lord gives me a greater sensitivity and ability to hear from the Lord. I should have the same heart. Speak, Lord, your servant hears. And and if my heart attitude wants to hear from God, if I have a heart that's willing and ready and receptive, sometimes part of the reason why I don't hear from the Lord isn't God's fault, it's my fault, quite frankly. Sometimes why? And there are occasions where I've been on the other side of the pulpit and I didn't get anything out of that message. Well, maybe it wasn't the, the person who was conveying the word of God's fault. Maybe it was my fault. Because maybe I didn't come in with the attitude of, Lord, speak to me. I need to hear from you, God. Is there something you would say to me? Do you want to correct me? Do you want to instruct me? Do you want to reveal something to me? Do you want to teach me something? And, and, and here, this is such a beautiful word of counsel. Speak, Lord, for your servant hears. I want to hear from you, God. I want to listen to what you would say. I have a heart that wants to be instructed. And again, speak, Lord, for your servant hears. Great question to ask myself in regards to hearing the voice of God for my life in reading the Bible, in my personal devotional time with the Lord, in listening to the Word of God taught and when it's coming forth. Good thing to ask myself, do I have this heart of servanthood? Am I His servant? And do I have that attitude towards the Lord where I... Because here, a servant receives direction. A servant doesn't have his own agenda. 
A servant doesn't say, well, I'm going to do this and this, and if it works with what my master wants, a servant has no agenda, he has no will. His one sole purpose is to receive direction from his master and implement and do what his master wants. It's to fulfill his master's purposes and to do whatever his Lord would ask of him and to fulfill those things. This is the attitude of servanthood, and this is the hard attitude, I think, that becomes very receptive, like a, like a radar, able to tune in the right frequency of the voice of the Lord when he's speaking, where we have that hard attitude of, Lord, I'm your servant, meaning I want to receive direction. Let me ask you a question. Do you want to hear the Lord's voice? Do you want to receive direction? Do you really want to receive direction? Because the truth of the matter is, again, whether it's employees in our job or whether it's our children or, or I mean, let me just be very candid. There are times where I sit with people where they'll call and they'll ask for counseling and I can discern, even as I'm listening to them and then offer, I, I can discern they want to go through the process, but they really don't want to see direction. What they want me to do maybe is rubber stamp the direction they want to go. <laughs> And I've had before, you know, where, you know, people, if, if I say what they want me to say or I confirm what they want to continue doing, then they, then they like that. But if you in any way say something different or try and speak the truth into a situation, uh, you can almost sense that they really didn't want direction. It's one of the reasons why I almost try and tie up every counseling situation by saying, now, listen, here's how this is going to end. We're going to pray together. And when you leave the office here or this lunch table or this counseling setting when you leave here's what's going to happen you're going to do whatever you want we can share we can look at the truth and talk about it but we have a free will and when we have a heart of servanthood that we bring towards the Lord and, and we have this heart Lord I want to hear what you'd say to me do you really want to hear what he'd say to you? Do I always really want to hear what he would say? Even if what he wants to say to me might be a little hard to hear sometimes. It might challenge me or correct me. Or Do I really want to hear his word to me? Or do perhaps I want to hear, but I really don't want to act. I don't want to implement like his servant what he asked me to do. Because sometimes, let's be honest, he asks us to do things that are challenging, right? that make us step outside of our comfort zone. It takes courage or boldness or maybe a step of faith or some sacrifice or sometimes a, an altering of our course or a change of our direction or, or repentance maybe from something in our lives. And this is such a wonderful, wonderful thing. I think memorize it. If you want a short verse to memorize and meditate, what a great thing to have this buried into your heart and to bring this prayer before the Lord as you sit with Him every day, as you walk through the day. Speak, Lord. Your servant's listening. I'm here, Lord. I want to hear from you. Talk to me. Show me things. Reveal things to me. When you come to a Bible study, you'll get much more out of it. Speak, Lord. Your servant is here. I want to be instructed for my life. I want to be guided and receive direction. So he gives this counsel. Samuel goes and lays down. Verse 10 says, And now the Lord came and stood and called as at other times. This is the fourth time now saying, Samuel, Samuel. And Samuel said, Speak for your servant hears. Now let me just say something in regards to hearing the voice of the Lord before we see what God spoke to Samuel. As I said earlier, I alluded to it a little bit. Notice something else about hearing the voice of the Lord. This is the fourth time. The Lord will patiently continue. We see this pattern in Scripture. 
to repeat and to continue to try and convey and repeat his efforts to speak to us until we recognize it's him talking to us. Whether it's repeatedly calling our name Samuel, Samuel, Saul, Saul, Simon, Simon. And, and the Lord will repeat the process so patiently and persistently and we should all be really glad because I'm pretty dull sometimes. I don't always have the best attention span. I don't always pay attention the best. And there are times where sometimes I find like in my life it seems like that when the Lord wants to do me to do something in August, he like starts talking to me in December. And then he kind of brings it up again in January. And then all throughout February, he makes somebody on the radio say it about seven different times. And then he sells my wife some prophetic word in a conversation we'll be having. And then he'll say it to me in my devotions. And, and, and usually then when I get to around July, I think, I think God's speaking to me. <laughs> I, I, I feel like he keeps firing the same shot across my bow. And, and I, I think I'm starting, I think I'm getting the point here. I think God's talking to me. And let me just say, that's okay. I, I want to at times not begin to get too presumptive because we've all times as well err on the side of why the Lord told me to and then we find out the words the Lord did not tell you to do that maybe your human spirit told you to do that but the Holy Spirit didn't tell you to do that and so I think it's good to learn how to find a balance of being patient prudent yes we want to act yes we want to hear and obey and be good servants but I'm thankful the Lord is patient and he works with us in a way as we're learning to hear his voice that he'll speak it and then he'll you know, confirm it and he'll say it again and he'll keep repeating the same thing to us sometimes to reinforce it different ways again and again. And I'm glad he's persistent until we recognize he's talking to us. And I want to say this too, the Lord's voice oftentimes will seem very familiar to you personally. Another thing that will really help you, I find in my life in learning to hear the voice of the Lord his voice will seem very familiar to you personally. And, and here's what I mean by that. Think about this. As Samuel's hearing the Lord speak to him, who does he think's talking to him? Eli. Yeah, it wasn't rocket science. Thank you for being awake still. <laughs> Eli. It, he, it sounds to him like the voice of somebody that just naturally talked to him. It wasn't Samuel. Yeah, it wasn't like that, right? It was just a very natural, familiar communication because how does God speak? I'll tell you how God speaks. God speaks the language of the heart because God conveys us what he wants us to know in our heart, that still, small voice of the Lord. And, and, and for Samuel, he thought it was just a person talking to him. I don't know if that means the voice was audible or not audible. I, I don't get into all that. I, the bottom line is when he heard God's voice, it was just a very familiar, natural, supernaturally natural thing that he sensed God was speaking to him in such a way. And, and I think this is a beautiful thing to realize. God communicates in a very clear and direct way where, where it's just very familiar to your heart personally and God knows how to talk to your heart. Aren't you glad for that? He knows how to talk to my heart and he knows how to reach your heart and talk to your heart if you're listening. And here's what he's now going to say to Samuel. It wasn't the greatest message. Verse 11, Then the Lord said to Samuel, Behold, 
I will do something in Israel which both the ears of everyone who hears it will tingle. And that's not the idea of tingle in a good way like, oh, great. That's like cymbals being crashed and your ears ringing in great pain because this was going to be a horrible thing. He says, verse 12, In that day I will perform against Eli all that I've spoken concerning his house from beginning to end. Now, again, remember what he had spoken to Eli. We saw it in chapter 2. A prophet of God, an unnamed man of God, it says, came to Eli and rebuked him because he was honoring his sons more than the Lord and he was allowing them to practice their sin and immorality and he was doing nothing to stop them from what they were doing. And he, he spoke to them about it, but he was not disciplining them as a father. He was not exercising his authority and restricting the evil they were doing. If anything else, even as a failure from a parenting perspective, he should have at least fired them from their positions of working in the house of God. But he was doing nothing about it. And so God warned him that because he had not done that, God predicted that what he was going to do was he was going to bring judgment upon his house. And his two sons would die in one day and that his house ultimately would lose the opportunity of ministry they once experienced because they had failed in that way. So the message goes on. God speaks to Samuel and says, verse 13, regarding Eli, for I have told him that I will judge his house forever for the iniquity which he knows because his sons made themselves vile and he did not restrain them. And therefore I have sworn to the house of Eli that the iniquity of Eli's house shall not be atoned for by sacrifice or offering forever. Again, so God reiterates or perhaps somewhat really for the first time is revealing this now because maybe the message wasn't given to young Samuel when Eli first received it. He reveals to Samuel what he is going to do in judging the house of Eli for what was taking place. And notice in verse 13, the seriousness of why God was going to bring such severe judgment upon Eli's house. He says, verse 13, for the iniquity which he knows about, in which his sons have made themselves vile, robbing God's people, sleeping with the women, having sexual intercourse there. I mean, just horrible activity. And he did not restrain them. Notice, he knew what they were doing. It wasn't that he could play ignorant. He was fully aware of their sin and their evil activity. He knew what they were doing, but he was doing nothing about it. God's prophetic word to Samuel was regarding what was on the heart of the Lord for his people and what God saw that dishonored him. And particularly we see here, it was in regards to sin that was happening among the house of God and in a particular family that was just perpetually taking place. It was sin that was dishonoring God it was hurting people and it was sinful activity that was hindering people's spiritual lives and hindering people from having a right relationship with the Lord. Yet though God addressed it, he brought it to light, to Eli's attention as a father, as a spiritual leader, though he caused conviction for that sin, God was ignored. God exposed the sin. God brought conviction, no doubt repeatedly over the sin but the sin was continuously practiced willfully and openly without any repentance or change. He said he knew about this and yet there was no repentance. There was no discipline. There was nothing done about it. There was ongoing sin that was not being addressed or disciplined or restrained as it should have been, both as a parent and as well as the primary spiritual leader there in the house of the Lord. And Eli was accountable for this. 
as a father. He says he knows what's going on and he's not restraining it. He was honoring his sons more than the Lord. And again, his parents. God help us to, to hear the heart of God here. That if there's something that's going on in our house, under our authority, some sinful behavior, some wrong activity of which we are accountable and responsible for, that we would have the spiritual fortitude to not just be convicted about it, but actually act upon it. To take the authority God's given to us and to restrain it, to put it to an end, to discipline, if necessary, our children, to deal with it however we need to, and not to just allow it to go on continuously. God's going to hold us accountable for that. And as well, from any perspective of spiritual responsibility we have, Eli here again was responsible for the whole house of God and he was allowing this to happen and not restraining it. So great discipline and judgment was now going to come and nothing could deal with that. No offering could be used to try and avert the judgment of God at this point. Verse 15, so Samuel says, lay down until morning and open the doors of the house of the Lord. Notice just the faithful young man. He's opening the doors, opening up the temple, like opening the shop in the morning. And Samuel was afraid to tell Eli this vision that God gave to him. I bet he was. And Eli called Samuel and said to him, Samuel, my son. And he answered, here I am. And he said, what is the word that the Lord spoke to you? I was hoping he wasn't going to ask me that. I'm sure he's thinking, please do not hide it from me. God do so to you and more also if you hide anything from me of all the things that he said to you. So he puts him under, in a sense, an oath, almost a curse. He says, listen, you need to tell me what God said. No matter what it is or how hard it is. or he's, And this, again, why was this hard for, for young Samuel? Because he probably had grown to kind of love Eli. I mean, he'd become like a spiritual father. He was raising him. He was mentoring him in the house of the Lord. And I'm sure he knew that his two sons were rascals and were horrible examples. But, but as a young boy, you know, there's an affinity there. There's kind of a relational connection. He's thinking, I don't want to tell him that God's pronounced judgment on his house. I don't want to be the heavy and bring a hard word from God and rebuke his sin and expose his... And he's thinking, oh, man, that's, that's going to be tough to say. But here he says, tell me what God said or may it come upon you. And verse 18 says, Samuel told him everything and hid nothing from him. And he said, it is the Lord. Let him do what seems good to him. So notice, what's God do here? God is testing his young servant in regards to his faithfulness. Would he convey the word of the Lord when it was given to him? He was going to be a prophet of God. Was he going to speak what God told him to speak or was he going to be more concerned like Eli in his failure to want to please people more than to please God? Would he be willing to say what God told him to say even if people didn't like it or it was hard to receive or difficult to swallow? Would he honor God more than his own feelings and speak the truth? as we all have to do at times if we're going to be faithful servants of the Lord and stewards to represent him. And notice, as he did it courageously, he shows his faithfulness. He didn't hold anything back. Notice, verse 18, Eli just simply said, this is maturity and, and spiritual. He says, it's the Lord. Now, that was a hard thing to hear, but he said, it's the Lord. May he do what seems good to him. And you know, the, the truth of the matter is, when Something is truly from God. There's just kind of that you can sit like, that's the Lord. You know, sometimes when you hear, even when it's hard to hear, 
I mean, it's just like a lot of times once a year we uh, go to the, the pastor's conference. And a lot of times when I go to a leadership conference, it, I, I almost kind of feel like I go there and it almost seems like, you know, like a first session. It's almost like you kind of stick your bombs like, all right, Lord, just, there you go, just, just, just spank me. I know it's coming. Just go ahead, go ahead. And, and because it's like, and, but when you receive it, it's like, it's the Lord. It's the Lord. And may the Lord's will be done. And, and the best attitude we can have is like Eli here. When you hear it's the Lord, Lord, do what seems good to you. Lord, I just submit to what your will is. That is the best attitude to have when you hear from the Lord. When you get a word from the Lord, recognize it's him, acknowledge it in faith, no matter how hard it is to hear, whatever it may be, and just say, Lord, not my will, but your will be done. Let him do what seems good to him. Great response if God's been speaking to you about something. So Samuel grew, the Bible says, and the Lord was with him and let none of his words fall to the ground. And notice that was the reason for his success and effectiveness in ministry, that his words did not fall to the ground. The idea there is, is that his words hit their mark. That when this young man spoke for the Lord, his words never fell short. They always went and they hit their mark. It hit people in the heart. It hit their mark because it was the voice of the Lord. It was the oracle of God coming through a faithful servant as he was speaking on God's behalf. And why was that? Verse 19, there's the simple answer because the Lord was with him. There was nothing special about Samuel. He was a 12-year-old prophet. But it shows you God can use anybody. It doesn't matter if you're 12 years old. It was the presence of the Lord because the Lord was with this young man when he spoke his words didn't fail. They hit their mark. And all Israel from Dan to Beersheba knew, they recognized, it was confirmed that Samuel had been established as a prophet of the Lord. God made it evident, this is my prophet. And the Lord appeared to him again in Shiloh, for the Lord revealed himself to Samuel in Shiloh by the word of the Lord, and the word of Samuel came to all Israel. Interesting. Last verse of chapter 3, first chapter, chapter 4, the word of the Lord, it says, came, and then the next verse, and the word of Samuel. It's almost as if the two began to become synonymous because when Samuel spoke, the word of the Samuel was usually the word of the Lord. It wasn't his words. And why? Because Samuel was someone, it says, verse 21, who the Lord was continuously revealing himself to. I love what it says, the Lord revealed himself to Samuel. Why was this man effective? Was there anything special about him? No. Does there need to be anything special about any one of us to be effective spiritually? No. It is the grace of God and is our willingness like this young man to have a heart that's receptive that says, speak, Lord, your servant's listening and the Lord will continue to reveal himself. The Lord wants to reveal himself to us. What a wonderful thing that he wants to reveal himself to us and speak to each one of us. Amen? Let's stand. Let's pray together.